Soon, we'll be starting a brand new season here on Rocketship.fm, digging in on several interesting stories that are happening in the world of Web3. That's all we're going to share for now. But before we get to that season, we have a special mini series that we're going to be releasing over the course of these next three weeks. A mini season in between seasons, if you will. Yeah, something like that, right? Okay. And, and it's definitely different than the Web3 stories we'll be telling. Yes, it won't focus on those brand new startups who are hot onto the scene with their NFTs and their DAOs. Instead, it's going to focus on really old companies in some cases, companies that are very, very well established. But these companies, while many of them, they actually do really well and have done well for decades, very well established, well funded, market leaders. In some cases, they're even household names, but they've also recently had to catch up with the times. Many of these companies are going through what almost all, you know, older, well established companies have gone through or will have to go through at some point in time. And that's a digital transformation. But what does that really mean? Well, that's, that's actually a really good question. And maybe uh, different companies would have different answers. And we'll actually get to that a little bit later. And helping us bring this entire mini season together is a good friend of the show. Do you want to share who it is? Uh, you know what? Not yet. <laughs> Let's build this up, Michael. You know me. <laughs> we'll tell them after we roll the intro. Okay. Okay, of course. All right. Let's roll the intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. 
This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today okay mike now we can introduce our well Essentially, third co-host for this special mini-season. All right, I think we could do that. And to Rocket Ship listeners, of course, it's no stranger. He's been a guest on our show before during the Workplace Confession season. Uh, we also recently featured his talk from the virtual edition of Industry the Product Conference on a recent episode just a few weeks back. It's Christian Idioti, partner at Silicon Valley Product Group. And Christian, we are so pumped to be collaborating with you on this. Mike, it's great to be part of this. And it's an honor not just to be doing this with you, getting on this series with you, but to highlight stories of people I know and I have in some cases actually worked with personally. Christian, we'll be telling stories of digital transformation in the series, but what does digital transformation really mean to you? And for our listeners, why should this be important to them, particularly those that may be at companies that actually aren't going through this process right now? I have found digital transformation to mean very different things to many different companies. At the core, many companies start to recognize that what got them to where they are, or the secret to their current success, may not be helpful in getting them to where they need to be or staying competitive or relevant in a marketplace. And that the legacy mindset, culture, techniques that they've used in the past may not equip them to be innovative in the future. Truly for me, transformation really goes to the heart of changing how companies work to better serve your customers and to yield results, changing the use of technology in that way from a necessary evil of serving the business to serving customers in a way that works for your business. It does mean changing how you organize yourselves to do that. It does mean changing the role that teams have to play and how they work together to, do in, to, to achieving success. At the core, we found that there's a big difference between how the best companies in the world work and how the rest do. And I think at the heart of every meaningful transformation, companies have recognized that they can achieve meaningful results by changing how they work. Well, I think we ought to jump right into some of the conversations you had. This episode, we'll start with a conversation about one transformation you had with two different people, Thomas Friedel and Doug Cullen, both at Datasite. And this is a company that you were actually part of at one point. Isn't that right? That's right. And these are some of my favorite people. I was part of Merrill Corporation, which eventually rebranded as Datasite. And yes, I directly worked with these people. And today we're going to be hearing their transformation journey. Well, let's start with the basics. What is Datasite? Well, Datasite has evolved today to be a leading SaaS provider in the M&A space. They empower dealmakers around the world with tools they need to succeed and to really master the deal cycle. Really a tremendous story. And you spoke with Doug Cullen, the CMO and head of corporate strategy, and Thomas Friedel, the chief product officer, right? That's right. 
And Thomas reminded me what the culture was at Datasite before we even went through this transformation. Back then, it was a company that didn't necessarily welcome innovation. Uh, and it was a company that, that didn't, they didn't have a, uh, you know, kind of a discipline for proving things out quickly. You know, it was more of a, actually, you know, uh, when I came on board, you know, the word that was used for so many things was enterprise. This is going to be an enterprise initiative. And I almost came to look at the word enterprise as a curse word. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, like I think things that, you know, can be useful across an entire company. That's valuable. That's great. But if enterprise means that, you know, you have to, that it has to be perfect uh, and that it has to involve every single person all at once, uh, and that it's going to take forever, uh, then forget about that enterprise thing. Because it's too, too long, it's too slow. Uh, so the idea was really, hey, you know, what are the things that we can do really quickly? You know, how can we emphasize our learning? So, you know, the, the culture, I would say, was, uh, was to my mind, a bit, uh, you know, old fashioned, you know, a bit, uh, you know, kind of stuck in an older way of uh, doing things. Okay, old fashioned culture, which isn't necessarily surprising for companies like this before they go through their transformation, right? That's right. And it's true that precisely because of this legacy culture, many companies realize it's time for a change. What gets us here and keeps us competitive is likely to change. It takes a realization that change needs to happen. And sometimes that can be tricky. The role of technology has to change from a necessary evil and expense to really becoming an enabler of your business or your business. But culture, we found, is so important. And before the transformation, DataSide didn't really have this modern tech culture embedded into it. Doc Cullen talked about this too. The culture did not exist when it happened. I think the happening created the culture. The culture that existed was definitely a gotcha culture, a finger-pointing culture. If you told me bad news, I'd yell at you. I feel that what helped a lot was, you know, kind of an injection of new leaders and new people and kind of collective advisors that have more experience with this type of stuff. It was sort of a confluence of people and events and opportunity and time and where we were in this dynamic transformation that gave us that great opportunity to fight through it. You know, the more likely scenario was heads roll, people get fired, we shelved the project. You know, that that is so likely in many of these outcomes. The, the exact opposite one was what happened, which was like, hey, oh, this sucks, um, but we're going to learn from it. And if you fear the failure, you're never going to push things enough. You have to embrace it as part of the outcome and you got to get back on it. And now I think culturally, we've figured that out, that learn fast, fail quickly, you know, get things out in market, um, react to customer feedback, modify, change. That whole cycle, which is a, is a company-wide thing for us. It's not just in product. So it sounds like today, the culture has changed pretty dramatically at Datasite. Yes, but it took going through the entire transformation to really cement this new culture there. So walk us through this. What were some of those first steps? Well, Thomas and Doug reminded me about some of those steps. After a recognition that things needed to change, the next step was actually making those changes. But some of those changes had to do with people. You see, transformation, from my perspective, is like choosing to play a different sport. 
You know, you've been playing hockey for many years and then you choose to play basketball. No matter how great some people are on the hockey team, it's very challenging to teach or convince a two-footer that they can duck. And so in many cases, people changes have to be at the core of your transformation because you're changing the game you're playing. There was a hard one for many of the people at DataSide to make. Yes, Thomas recalling a situation of when he realized that some of the people on the team weren't the right people to make change happen at DataSide. There was a moment there uh, shortly after I joined where I just realized that this person that had been responsible for engineering was absolutely the worst possible person for this. And I looked at the org org organization structure and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, uh, if I remove them, uh, and then there were like two people that reported into them that were blockers. So I'm looking at the organization that's defined and I'm like, oh, I have to get rid of those three people. And I just went ahead and did it. And uh, I was so busy in meetings after that, you know, that like for the next maybe two months, you know, I, I didn't have any time to even breathe. But it was the absolute right thing to do because by getting rid of the people who you know were not going to be part of the journey or who were blocking the journey or who were so steeped in that sort of old-fashioned culture, if I kept them on board, it would have just set the journey back by, I mean, maybe we, we wouldn't have gotten there. So it was scary to do that, but it was it was the right thing to do. Big changes that aren't easy, no doubt. But to make big changes, and I'm not talking about tech stack changes, I'm talking about big monumental changes. It's important to have the right people on the team. And it sounds like Thomas and Doug realize that. Yes, and of course the first step is making those changes if the wrong people are on the team. But the next step now is getting the right people on the team. Thomas recalled when he brought in one particular team member, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Jeremiah Ivan, as the VP of engineering. And Jeremiah was definitely different than what people were used to in a legacy culture at DataSite. Jeremiah came into something where, you know, our, our, the original sort of work environment reflected that old culture. So work environment, imagine huge cubicle walls, you know, so you couldn't possibly, I mean, you were lucky if there was a ray of light that came into your cubicle, you know, and you sure as heck couldn't see anyone else in that office because, you know, the big old, you know, cubicle walls, uh, old-fashioned mustard color. I mean, this, this just trying to paint the picture of you know, how old-fashioned this, uh, this environment was. Executive offices all around the side, completely blocking off any natural light. And Jeremiah uh, walked in there and he stood up on one of the desks and he poked his head way up over, you know, he's a tall guy, you know, poked his head way up over the cubicles. And he said, howdy data say. So he did things that were a little outrageous and that weren't the way that things were done before to kind of get people comfortable with, hey, you know, there's gonna be a new way of doing things. So, so part of this is people that are really good at challenging the status quo. And you know what, maybe they're a little odd, maybe they're a little different uh, and hallelujah for that. Uh, because they can help people understand that, hey, you can be comfortable doing things in a different way. All right, we're learning about DataSite's digital transformation, one that Christian himself actually lived through. This is probably a good point to take a short break, so we'll do that, and we'll keep digging in when we're back after we hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So... 
You want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Before the break, we're chatting with Christian Idioti, a partner at Silicon Valley Product Group and friend of Rocketship. Recently, Christian has had many conversations with product leaders who have recently gone through a big digital transformation. Christian is helping to tell some of those stories on this mini season we have here on Rocketship.fm. And to start, we're hearing about the story of Datasite, a SaaS platform for the M&A industry, a company that realized it needed to change, not just like its platform, but its people yes and it's process it's where of walking because before this digital transformation data side was largely a waterfall organization with a legacy mindset legacy roles legacy process legacy methodology command and control organization they made big products and then project managed them onto those products were true of course we all know that in several months or years or years plus it takes to create whatever big product you plan a lot can change Maybe it's no longer the product you even need. So a big part of the transformation was changing how they worked. Thomas talks a bit about one example of how some of these practices changed and how data side even adopted more modern practices like design sprints, for instance. You're starting off with your customer problem statement. You're engaging with customers. You're prototyping. You're circling back. You're validating your prototype. And, uh, and we got uh, really good at doing the, uh, the design sprint. So all of a sudden, we went from something that, hey, maybe that discovery process could take you know two months to now it's a week and we're going to get rapid feedback from it and we're going to use that feedback to maybe kill the idea or maybe you know it branches off into other ideas or maybe we we're looking at exactly the right thing so we're just going to continue uh, doing that thing it could be any of the uh, any of the above and it didn't stop there some of the process changes even extended to how they convinced people about what they were going to do and when with road mapping. We created this thing that we call a product jam. You know, once every six months or so, we kind of pull everyone together and we tell them, uh, you know, what we're planning to do with the product. You know, road mapping is a very controversial topic uh, because if you believe in customer discovery, continuous customer discovery, then, you know, philosophically, you might say, well, we think we know what the most important problems are right now. But, you know, things change, you know, customer needs change, you know, we might find a more important problem tomorrow. So, you know, if you lock yourself into, you know, long-term roadmap, you know, then, you know, do you you have the ability to pivot and to address, you know, those customer needs that you find to be more important? This has been a, uh, an interesting balancing act because, you know, if you, if you think about it logically from an investor's point of view, if an investor you know, saying, hey, you know, company, like we're happy with you pouring this money into product development work. Uh, it would be very natural for those investors to say, well, I want to know what I'm going to get. I want to know what I'm going to get. So tell me what I'm going to get. Tell me what your long-term roadmap is. Is first of all, we anchor the investors in the vision. So overall, where are we headed? And, you know, that is really pretty constant. That really doesn't change very much. And then when it comes down to the roadmap, um, you know, we'll talk about big themes. You know, we'll talk about like, uh, you know, kind of overall 
objectives, you know, things that we're going after. Uh, we tie our themes into the overall strategy for the business as articulated by our CEO. So if you're an investor, you can see the alignment. You can see, hey, CEO is telling me this, you know, that we're, th this is the bullseye that we're going after. And I, as an investor, can see exactly how these things, you know, line up against what the, uh, what the CEO is saying. And then uh, in terms of the roadmap itself, we, we're, we only give visibility to the next two quarters. So yes, we do give forward visibility, uh, but we're, we're just keeping it to, you know, the, the next two quarters because we don't want to, we don't want to get too far out. And, uh, and then we're a little judicious, you know, so we focus on, you know, kind of big picture, you know, the meaty things that will be most meaningful to them. But with every one of those meaty, meaty things, there are half a dozen other things that are happening too. Okay. These are very big changes to make. Uh, we're not talking about a tweak to the process at a startup where, you know, you can make changes really fast, but it's really an overhaul to an ideology that a major organization is making. I mean, that's a big deal. Having been part of this myself, it is indeed a very big deal. These types of changes can't be made overnight and do require a different kind of corporate courage. Were there other big changes that came up when it comes to like process? Yes, I, I remember Doc Colin talking about how even the way we communicated changed. Prior to the transformation, communication would happen formally. Standing meetings, all hands meetings, big formal presentations, documented communications, documents upon documents. Uh, Doc reminded me how this changed during the transformation. More frequent, less formal. Because, you know, formal presentations, like who cares? You know, a bunch of decks. It's sort of sitting down with a whiteboard and and really thinking of things in a non-determined um, way. And what I mean by that is I think of things as always going to have a series of potential outcomes. And you're going to make choices that have different impacts on those potential outcomes. So a lot of the alignment that we've been able to achieve, and I think it's better now than it was then, it was a lot harder then, was just sort of thinking about things as, hey, we're gonna make some choices, those choices are gonna have an impact. Here's, here's how we foresee the potential outcomes for this with an understanding of we're gonna be wrong, right? There's just no, there's no way to predict the future. And so getting people a little bit more comfortable with that that core concept I think is certainly critical for our current you know version of the transformation is just having you have executive alignment you know and, and really making sure from a cultural standpoint you have a willingness and ability to to share how you're feeling share discomfort you know un embrace uncertainty you know and and kind of seek information and that communication those open channels was it specifically within the product team no i think you'll find out in every successful transformation the ones that work well it has to happen throughout the organization so many different groups within the organization our customer service team right these are the people that are engaging our customers every single day our product team um so we have people that are designing that ui engineers, uh, product managers, sales, inside sales, marketing. If you don't have that, you know, humming, I think you're going to really have some inefficiencies in the process. So these people changes happen. These process changes happen. I imagine also technology changes needed to happen as well. Oh, yes, of course. But the funny thing is, technologies change 
in major digital transformation almost feels like table stakes. I meet many companies that will say, you know, we have a digital group, which is almost a definition of their journey in transformation because they are recognizing first that they have to have different technology in, in how they work. Tech changes are a big part of it. But when we think about transformation, can an organization thrive even if those technology changes were made? It could only be possible if everything else around it changed. So I'm curious, when is the point where you say, okay, you know what, we're, we're transformed now. I mean, is there a specific point in time? Is there a specific event? Well, in the case of Datasite, when we think of the product we're delivering to customers, yes, eventually, you have to ultimately decide to flip that switch to say, we're ready. We're ready to bring customer a new customer into this process. We're changing the way I work. And can you, Doug and Thomas, recall the first customer that you brought on board? Michael, this is something I will never forget. And I wish I could say it happened so smoothly or beautifully. But Doug Collar reminded me that that wasn't just the case. Datasite as a platform had existed since 2001. It was, it was pretty legacy, uh, to put it mildly, right? And... And we were literally refactoring and building it all from scratch, right? With all the greatest modern technology and capabilities that existed at the time. Uh, but you transformed in the, the product world every single practice that existed, right? I mean, there was literally nothing almost left at the, at the end of the time. We actually were between two different pro platforms now I think about it. about it. I remember you talking about we're building a minimum viable product or a minimum valuable product. And, and I probably said to you at the time, yeah, that doesn't exist here. This ain't minimum viable. Like this is, it's gotta do it. We're doing deals. These are M&A transactions. People that depend on us, I mean, depend on us like electricity. So, you know, we at the same time had to get customers on the platform. Like, you know, uh, no matter how smart we think we are, right? We just don't understand the customers as well as they do. So we have to listen to them. And particularly when you're trying to build new classes of technology, solving problems in a slightly different way. And so we had a pretty uh, tough moment and a tough decision on who is the first customer that we put on to data site one. And we picked a client um, in Ireland and we surrounded them. We had everyone on this. They did their deal and we had demoed it. We had onboarded them. But, you know, ultimately, at least within, I'm sure with all software, but certainly our platform, Demos, trainings, all these things are real fun. The rubber hits the road when you're trying to accomplish the task at hand. And does it stand up, right? And wow, it did not stand up. Like it literally fell over. And I was in London, I think at the time, and I get a call from our head of service and she's like, Doug, we have problems. And I was like, walk me through, like what's going on? And she broke it down for me, walked it through. I called the sales rep, the sales rep is absolutely apoplectic yelling at me how could you do this to my customer you told me it was ready and of course i told him it was ready because christian told me it was ready right so we had them going down this dynamic and you know it was a really horrible experience and we use that to help galvanize the company. Oh boy, not exactly what we all wanted, I'm sure. Oh, it wasn't ideal, I will admit it, but what a great story of learning. All right, well, I do wanna hear more about how Datasite survived the transformation, even after all of that, but let's take another quick break here. We'll be right back.
Okay, before the break, we learned about some of the changes that DataCite made during their transformation, the people changes, the process changes, and then the day finally came where it took a customer through their new process. And as a result, well, it, it actually wasn't what anyone had hoped for. No, it, it was, a, like I say, a learning experience, but it didn't take long to make the changes we needed to make the next customer go through the process. See, a culture of innovation means a culture of learning. In some ways, a mindset that says, you know, if we're not failing, we're not trying hard enough. And that process for the next customer was much more smooth. It's taking the learning from the previous experience and putting that into practice for the next one. I'll actually say that the first customer that we went through ended up being proof the next customer that our transformation had worked. And how so? Well, before this entire transformation, if we experienced something like we did with the first customer, something that could be looked at as a major failure, they would have been finger pointing. They would have been blamed. People may have gotten fired, but that didn't happen in this case. Instead, everybody rallied together, banded together. They were so solution focused. The company had made a shift from the output, the futures, the day-to-day -day delivery, to thinking about how can we make the customer's experience better. And going through the transformation really helped our mindset shift because even as challenges popped up, we were now set from a technology standpoint to find solutions quickly, to respond to changes quickly. Thomas even reminded me of one specific example. We, we had one situation early on where you know, a customer was very frustrated. You know, they ran into a bug and you know the sales team and the service team is thinking, oh, well, I tell you what, it's going to be, you know, two weeks before we fix that. We better have a call with the customer, you know, the next day and we'll get the big cheese on, you know, so they'll get the uh, product guy, they got me on to uh, talk to the customer to explain, oh, you know, we're so sorry about this. So uh, the engineering team was able to move so quickly with this new technology stack that we got into that conversation and we explained to the customer that the issue that they had found uh, the night prior was fixed. So it was done. <laughs> so that creates an incredible customer experience. If you've got that culture, you know, that's been transformed and that technology stack that helps support it. So it's an integrated system. You know, it's people, it's processes, it's technology, and it's all working together uh, really well. Then you can create a magical customer experience where, uh, you know, you are really pleasing customers in a, an amazing way and that pulls other teams like the sales team and the service team you know along with you and that's the point of going through a digital transformation yes it's great to improve the technology stack and make systems more modern but that in it of itself isn't transformation it may just be a technology upgrade in some ways if you do not change how you walk your technology upgrade means you can respond to changes faster but you will still pile on tech that even faster it's an organizational process and culture that make it a transformation. It's the shift in mindset that makes it sticky. And so I imagine that everybody at DataCite is glad that they went through the transformation. Oh, Mike, it's made a world of difference. In fact, Dr. Colin made a pretty big claim related to the transformation and what it's meant to him in the context of his entire career. It's been the most gratifying you know, professional accomplishment of my life. You could look at almost any metric you know, in our business you know, we were doing, you know, three, 4,000 deals a year, you know, stepping through the door six years ago, which was, was pretty good. We'll do north of 10,000 deals this year, way north, tripling the business 
in six years. You know, another great measure that we talk about is EMPS, right? Which is employee net promoter score. Do you want to be here? We've increased that by 20 points. This has been incredible to build this transformation, you know, to solve the customer problems that we are solving and the the ability that that gives us to solve other problems, uh, you know, gives us that right to continue to get investment, continue to grow, continue to hire more people. And that just, you know, just warms my heart. Well, Christian, I really enjoyed digging into this transformation with you. It's eye-opening, especially since we don't often get a view into what happens at larger organizations, especially as they face challenges. Well, Michael, I've got more stories to help tell this story. I'm excited to highlight those stories here on Rocketship. And we are too. In fact, we have two more episodes coming right up, highlighting more digital transformations over these next couple of weeks. And Yes, Christian, we're definitely excited to have you for this. Well, this is probably a good point to wrap things up. So more to come in this special miniseries for Mike Belsito and Christian Idioti. I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network. And if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.